0: Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pacillo, as always, joined by Joe Rasinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content wherever you are. And, of course, you could share that with your friends um, if you like, please follow Joe and I on social media, you can find us primarily at The Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube, The Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube, and today we are very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program Claudia McAdam, and we're going to be discussing her new book out from Ascension Press, which is titled The Real Presence. And man, is that an important conversation to have, the real presence. Now, for those of you who uh, have listened to The Frontline with Joe and Joe in the past on Veritas, uh, you're probably familiar with Claudia. (laughs) Having said that, if you're not, quick bio. uh, Claudia Cangilla McAdam is a Catholic award-winning author of books for kids and teens. She has an undergraduate degree in English is a graduate of the Denver Catholic Biblical School and obtained her master's degree in theology from the Augustine Institute in Denver. She has authored two dozen books, and her faith-based titles invite children to learn, love, and live the Catholic faith. Claudia and her husband live in Colorado, not far from their children and grandchildren. Now, this is what Dr. Edward Shree a uh, theologian, speaker, and author of A Biblical Walk Through the Mass, had to say about Claudia's new book, quote, simple and beautiful, this imaginative tale takes children to the time of Jesus and introduces them to the gift of the real presence found in the Eucharist. Close quote. Claudia McAdam, welcome back to The front line with Joe and Joe.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be back with you both.
0: It's a pleasure every time you come on. With that, Joe Resinello, I'm handing it over to you claudia we're going to say a prayer we've had some
1: internet connections i know our lady's going to make sure everything is okay she always does uh remember name of the father son holy spirit amen remember almost gracious virgin mary never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. oh mother of the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency here and answer us. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. <coughs> well, Claudia, on the show, we we mention this pew stat a lot. Why? Not that we just want to keep repeating it over and over again. It's important. Um According to Pew, only 30% of American Catholics believe in the true presence. I mean, that's the meat and potatoes of our faith. You don't believe in the Eucharist. Frankly, something's wrong. Like, things aren't clicking. Um, obviously, I'm sure you're aware of that. Most Catholics are. Um, is this one of the driving reasons why you wrote this book?
2: It is, in a way. Um, you know, of course, I'm aware of the the research and the statistics, but that's been an ongoing problem for a long time. People just don't take the time to learn about what the real presence means, to come to understand it. They're not being catechized well. And I wanted to do something that helped kids understand that, yes, our Lord Jesus Christ is present in the Eucharist. He said that's his body and that's his blood. We are to take him at his word. And hopefully the adults who share that this book with their kids Will also come to a deeper understanding of what what it means to embrace the Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith. Because you're right, Joe. If you don't have that, you don't have the basis that you need to be a good Catholic, living an authentic Catholic life.
1: Well, you know, it's fun. Uh, it's funny. Before the show, Claudia and I were talking. Um, my daughter last week received her first holy communion and intellectually i think she on um, we didn't use your book we should have frankly i To be honest with you, as I was reading uh, the bio and the outline this morning, I said to myself, we should have because I went to the practice with her and intellectually, I think she understood that this is Jesus. But to be honest with you, I don't think it translated into her heart. I'm going to be honest Um, just by the way she was responding to me. And I say that because it didn't work that way for me either. I went to Catholic school, my parents went to mass, I went to Catholic high school, I went to Catholic college, even when I, I shouldn't have been going to mass and receiving, but I did, uh, I'll be honest, um, you know, I still didn't, it didn't click, it didn't click. So I think what we have to, to, to discuss is it's, it's one thing to say something to someone intellectually, like this is Jesus. It's another thing to know it. And I think that's the divide here. Like, I've always said this, and I I, I want to hear your, your, your response to it. Like, if you gave me a Catholic test, like, I'd probably score pretty high on it on paper. That doesn't mean I do it perfectly. Right. And there's a big difference between that. So let's talk about, like, connecting the head and the heart, because I think that's the bridge we have to cross here.
2: Oh not well-educated as Catholics in a lot of ways. And someone who's helped make this real presence really deeply ingrained in me is Dr. Brant Petrie, who has written a book called The Jewish uh, Roots of the Eucharist and breaks down John chapter six, Jesus's bread
3: of life discourse. I think we need to start with understanding our minds And Dr. Petrie breaks it down really very simply. He says, okay,
2: the spread of life discourse, it comes after two important things. One, Jesus has multiplied the loaves and the fishes. And two, he has just walked on water. So this is the next scene in the chapter uh, six of John. And in order to understand, the real presence in the Eucharist, we have to understand the divinity of Jesus. So the first part of that, John chapter six, bread of life discourse, emphasizes, Jesus emphasizes the necessity of believing that he is divine, that he is who he says he is, the son of God. And if you can't look at him multiplying loaves and fish and walking on water and understand that he is divine, you're not gonna get the next part, which is he has the ability to do anything and everything, including changing bread and wine into his body and blood. So if we can drill down to what that bread of life discourse meant, and what Jesus is trying to do in speaking to the people in that synagogue, and he did not reach everybody, as we know, people walked away, they put their hands over their ears, and they said, Ah, oh, you're, you know, I can never believe this. Well, that's because you don't have the root, you don't believe Jesus is who he says he is the son of God, a divine being who can do this. And if you believe in in Jesus and you believe that he rose from the dead, what he's asking us is to eat his resurrected glorified body and to share in the same eternal life that he has. So it's a process. And I I think we need to do a better job with our kids from the pulpit in our RE classes, beginning at the beginning with who is Jesus.
0: Claudia McAdam is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rasinello, and you know we're going to go in the breach if we're talking about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, because quite frankly, we are—we're talking about Catholics. Um, and one thing I don't understand, let's switch to our Protestant brothers and sisters for a second that I don't understand. I just quite frankly, Claudia, I don't understand it, okay? The people, same people who hammer home solus scriptura, solus scriptura, scripture alone, scripture alone. We have to take it absolutely literally, but when Jesus says, when Jesus presents the, 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 the bread of life discourse, okay? Like, oh, well, he he was talking figuratively. Right. Which, I mean, which first of all, he wasn't, because let's be clear, because we like to to impart this to our audience members in case they don't already know, but many of them already do. Jesus doubles down on it, okay? They don't believe him the first time, he says, or they're at least confused. And then he doubles down on it, okay? And then they walk away. And I'm gonna tell you something, Claudia, I have heard the most stretching and straining explanations you'd ever wanna hear Right, even for a layman like me, who who is not a biblical scholar, to say no, no, that's not good. That's not right. That's right. It's like you said. You have to believe he is who he is. And if he is, and many many evangelicals are starting to realize this, and and creating creating waves because they're re- seriously thinking about coming into the church. That's why I'm bringing this up because powerful for for conversion of our Protestant brothers and sisters. Okay, they're starting to question John six and saying. <clears throat> doesn't strike me as being too figurative, and the only place that's doing it is the Catholic Church. Your comments on that, please.
2: You are, you are so right. Um, if, if Jesus was just kidding, and, and this is brought out in my book, The Real Presence, that these kids hear all this dissent that Jesus encounters in the synagogue, and one of them believes in Jesus' words, even though she doesn't understand how this can be. She believes what he says. The other one says, no, no, I think he was just kidding. And, and the, the girl says, well, nobody laughed. And then the little boy says, well, maybe it was just a symbol. And the girl says, well, if it was a symbol, he would have explained. It's not a metaphor. And I think where a lot of people get hung up, Protestants in particular, is one verse that Jesus says, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. And so they, they say, oh, well, he's just saying, you know, flesh doesn't matter his flesh doesn't matter but he's not saying that he's not saying my flesh is of no avail he's saying the material world the this fallen sinful world men our flesh our fleshly existence that is of no avail what really matters is spirit and spirit is beyond the reality beyond everyday life and that's what he gives us when we consume the eucharist he, we, he is asking us to partake of his risen glorified body in the presence of bread and wine, which has been transubstantiated into his body and blood. Um, I think it's pretty simple. Hopefully people give it a a little more thought knowing those kinds of things and, and come around.
0: I would agree with you, Claudia. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. But uh, resources like your book, uh, those Catholics out there in the public arena, let's say that are are in their own way, trying to highlight the need to remember that Jesus said, amen, amen, I say to you. Um, and go read that in John six, cause it's pretty powerful. All right. Something that moves me every time I read it. And yes, other resources like Dr. Brant Petrie, um, who's, I, I, um, haven't read his book. Um, but I have seen his, um, I, I know I've seen at least a couple of videos he has on the Jewish roots of the Eucharist and other things like the papacy and Mary, but that's not what we were talking about today. We're right. talking about Claudia's new book, uh, the real presence that's out from Ascension press with that. I'm going to hand it over to Joe.
1: Well, yeah, I promise we're gonna to get to uh your book and the two main character characters, uh Zedekiah and Abigail. It's very important because I think you I think that's the best way to teach things, frankly, is simply, you know, I think sometimes when we could condense, that's what, to be honest with you, what Joe and I try to do, we're the common man, we try to get complex ideas, and you condense them down in a simple message. That's what Jesus did. He used 12 regular guys, it doesn't get any more regular than Joe and I, to be honest with you. And that's what we try to do. But I want to comment on what you guys were saying, because it, it, it was like, Like, while you were talking, I was thinking about it. Uh, You know, Brent Petrie, he's a brilliant guy. And everything you say, Claudia, 100% right. God could do anything. He could do anything. He's divine. He could do anything. With that said, that doesn't mean it's going to resonate with me. And I'll tell you what. I'll tell you about me. You know, like, I was always Catholic. I always went to church. Even when I shouldn't have been receiving, I did. When it clicked for me, it was in my 30s. Why didn't it click? To be honest with you, I was living in a state of sin. I was drinking and partying. If you get drunk, that's a mortal sin. You could drink as a Catholic, you're allowed to have drinks. We're not teetotalers, but if you lose your control of yourself and I partied a lot. I also was doing things with my girlfriends I shouldn't have been. I did not see There were scales in front of my eyes. I was doing the motions, but I didn't see. It was until I stopped doing that. I started going to confession, which cleanses us, and started going to adoration. And then I saw. And then it doesn't matter intellectually. I know. Talk about that, because I think that's the bridge.
2: You. I mean, we have to prepare ourselves, prepare our souls to to be clean and worthy to receive the Eucharist, because then we receive it in in a worthy manner. We're not profaning the body and blood of the Lord, as St. Paul said we can be doing when we're we're in a state of sin. So the sacrament of reconciliation is critical. Um, We do need to take advantage of that more. And and I say that for myself, too. It's not the easiest thing for me to do to, to go to confession, but. It's something that I always feel so much better after I do it. And so I need to, to build up that habit because that puts me in, in a state of grace where I can obtain the most graces possible from receiving the Eucharist. And the Adoration Chapel is a wonderful place to go to and sit and with Jesus. And we have Adoration Hours at our parents.
3: It's just so beautiful, overwhelming to know that we're there We can see that. Know oh, that just for us all the time. We want to make ourselves worthy because we're strengthened. It's, it's like ourselves. Because we will, we believe in eternal life.
0: That's a whole. So I think we just we clicked out for a second. All right. Uh, But yeah, that's a topic for a whole nother time. I mean, we see a lot of craziness out there right now. But like you said, if if you're no matter who you are, okay, um, if you sincerely believe in Jesus, okay, Joe and I are not here to judge anybody who's Protestant, let's say, or Orthodox or anything like that, um, then, you know, Then yes, you understand the importance of of putting down your sin and striving to deliver a holier life in Christ. Uh where but nowadays out there <laughs> it's a little weird and it's getting weirder. But uh let's go let's get into the book a little bit. The uh, and Claudia McAdam is joining here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasol and Joe Resinello, and we're discussing her new. Presence. So now in the book, okay, there's two, as Joe, as Joe mentioned earlier, there's two characters, Zedekiah and Abigail. So these are two young cousins living in Capernaum during Jesus' time, and they fight over everything. They call over everything, okay? So how about you? Uh, we don't want to give away the whole book, Claudia. We want people to go out and buy it. Certainly um, not. But our, our listeners, a brief summary of the story. I will
3: say, are you writing fiction? And I think terrible you know, when he and the younger son said, "Give me my inheritance." Wow, he's got his audience right there. Imagine a grieved father, angry old brother.
2: They put themselves in the story. And, and then, out. Jesus is trying to teach them. Funny. Funny. Can, I,
0: can I cut you off? Sure. It's so funny about that because as you mentioned the prodigal son. Exactly. It's gonna five seconds. I just think in my mind, based on what you're saying, that's for many Christians, not just me, but for me, that's that's probably been the most powerful story, um, in parable in in my own personal journey. Okay. If Jesus laid that out intellectually and did not tell it in that form, okay, number one, it loses beauty, okay? Um, It would have been truth, but it would have lacked a little bit of imaginative beauty. Um, And I, I probably wouldn't have understood it. You know, Jesus sitting there trying to give you the relationship between the father, the son, the other son, the, the evil world out there. He's got to tell it in a parable, but that's what makes it parable powerful. Uh, powerful. I'm sorry, Claudia, I cut you off. I just wanted to chime in on that. <laughs> I,
2: I agree. I, you know, imagination is a wonderful tool for helping us to learn. And who is more open to imaginative stories than children? I mean, <laughs> they, they love to, to learn and to listen to stories. So that. That's why I do what I do. And I I try to take fictional characters, put them in the time of Jesus. And these are characters who are just like my young readers in this story, The Real Presence. They're two cousins, a boy and a girl, Zedekiah and Abigail. And as you said, Joe, they, they argue all the time. They are like any pair of siblings or good friends or cousins. You know, they bicker about everything. Whose crop is better? They want, they try to decide. Is it the wheat that Zedekiah's family grows? Or is it the, the grapes that that Abigail's family farms? Which, which is better? And so they decide they want to ask Jesus to be the judge of that. And they go to the synagogue in Capernaum and hear him give his bread of life discourse. And that's where they they don't agree on what he's saying. And it isn't until they end up at the last supper and they have their gifts to give to Jesus that they come to a full understanding of what he meant by You must eat my body and drink my blood. And by the way, here they are, this bread and wine. It's now my body and blood.
1: Joe Racinello. In the book, the illustrations are amazing. I'll be honest with you. Um, How important that is. For you, I mean, you're obviously teaching children, but even for adults, uh, as our good friend Mike Church on the Crusade Channel always says, people like them pictures. You know what I mean, and they resonate it resonates in your head. Um, How important are il- illustrations to you as a writer?
2: Well, you know, I and I am not the illustrator because I I'm a terrible artist, admittedly so, but the illustrator on this book is Gina Capaldi, and she has done a masterful job. And please, also the illustrator of my- next book with Ascension Press. that will be out next spring. So the the continuity of the illustrations is there. But she, she has a great story. And it's not too dissimilar from mine. When she was 10 years old, she wrote to Norman Rockwell, the great illustrator. And she said, I love what you do. I want to be an illustrator when I grow up. And he wrote back to her, encouraging her in that profession. To this day, she has tacked her drafting table his letter that he wrote to her all those years ago as her inspiration and i think she's done a, a really great job any good illustrator will take the story that the author writes and her his or her illustrations the, the,
3: the Great job and like she has come together. Her have come together in this book. It's a powerful duo.
0: Oh absolutely. I absolutely really in- Um especially if trying to teach like, like times a bit teachers uh who are dr brant did you know uh and on jesus eucharist they're gonna listen to stories and we have to tell them those stories that's part of what we do that's what Jesus did so the book is uh can people buy it from ascension press
2: they can ascension press had a great promotion last week they sold a thousand copies of this book in one week so they're they're out of stock at the moment at Ascension Press but other online retailers, some of the Catholic online sites have the book that where it can be purchased through them or your local Catholic bookstore can frequently get it because distributors outside of Ascension have the book So until Ascension gets it back in stock, you can still get it elsewhere.
0: I, uh, and and I just want to say we want people wonders come on the show, and we want we want people to go out there and buy the book. We understand right now people do this with Amazon and we're not going to I promise you Claudia, we're going to rope you in converse really too much better. unless of course you want to, to one is let's stop doing with our enemies, okay? Uh and uh, you know and if you have alternative or narrative need to our bookstores most important our Catholic
3: pictures,
0: okay. Uh,
3: over here, brought to, so we get sure, okay. It, it's a Catholic book. It can, exactly. You're doing by the grace of, and you're not going to have to work, but keep you gotta kinda need support a little bit. Go to the publisher. Sure. If they are out of stock,
2: the press is currently there are click retailers online that sell the book. So they're they're you know places that you can go there. Like, uh, organizations that sell the book online, so you get the real press and my name, McAdam, it'll pop up.
0: I will say one other thing, and then I'm going to hand it over to Joe Rasinello. One thing we could encourage, perhaps, on a, on a uh, diocesan level is maybe try to appeal to our individual diocese. I know Bishop Olmstead here. I'm now in uh, Arizona, Claudia. So uh, <laughs> I moved out of God's, Godforsaken New Jersey. Um, <laughs> never saw that coming, but I did. So uh, Bishop Olmstead is my, uh, is my bishop. Uh, gentleman here, uh, local author, his name's Paul Zuccarelli. Uh, he wrote years ago about an experience he had. It's, you know, He was clinically dead. Well, long story short, Bishop Olmstead bought, I think it was like, 2000 book. Uh, they made it They made it um, to read it because it's important. We should make the diocesan level to maybe ask our, our bishop, say, can you take a look at this book? Maybe buy some as a resource for the different parishes or the parishes themselves. So that's an idea. I mean, just to try to get these good books out there a little bit more. What do you think? I
2: love it. Thank you. And I, I would love to see. My books in every Catholic school library. I do a lot of school visits, and in, in libraries or in or online
3: can't be there in person. And to have, to where they. I'm going to start the front line. Minutes to
0: something going before the break. Okay. think we're having a little joke. Can you hear hear me? me? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. Basically, I think you guys are touching on something that's very important, because these are practical things that people can do. And we have to do practical things um, to translate our faith. I think we're at a point in, in in the American Catholic Church. We have to get back to basics, and this is a basic, and your book is touching on that. What are some other things we can do? I mean, let, let, let's just have a collective conversation because I do think um, it comes down to confession, rosary, better catechesis. It doesn't have to be rocket science. I, I mean, keep this in mind. Christ was not an educated man. I sometimes think about that. I sometimes think about who he used. And then I think to myself, all this talk, all these books, Jesus talked for three years. They were uneducated people, and they, and they evangelized the whole world. We should just keep it simple and get back to basics. And I think that's where we're at. I think we overcomplicate things sometimes. It doesn't have to be complicated. Christ was not a complicated guy. Talk about that. Getting back to basics.
3: Mentioned. Adam, I'm sure. Thank my generation. me. and we're not talking about going. in Kids
2: in. We're going to see there Jesus in the Eucharist, display the the what And Spend five minutes, just ease into it. If we say pray the rosary as a family, families with young children, oh my gosh, 15, 20 minutes. We can't do that. Don't do the whole rosary. Do one decade. Anybody can do that. Let the kids do the Hail Marys. Get them involved. Just break it down into little bite-sized bits. Because that is what Jesus did. He didn't dump this whole theology at one time on people. He doled it out in bits and pieces, taught them the Our Father, You know, gave the Sermon on the Mount, bit by bit by bit, getting the information to people in, in manageable slices. That's what we need to do in our families, in our Catholic schools, from the pulpit, um, just continually spoon feed, the younger, the younger members and the older members of the Catholic faith. I, come, I agree, back.
0: Joe. Real quick, we're going to come back to that because we're going to take a quick break. Claudia McAdam is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We're weighing the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we are discussing Claudia's new book available at Ascension Press. Ascension Press. Uh, the title of the book is The Real Presence, and this conversation might as well be The Real Presence. And other things that Catholics need to hear. (laughs) Um, And that's why we're always happy to to have Claudia um, on the program. So stick with us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. We have another great segment with Claudia McAdam. Don't go anywhere. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rusciano. We're way in the breach with Claudia McAdam. We're discussing her new book, um, "The Real Presence," available at Ascension Press. You're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Make sure you download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so that you get access to all of our station's content. Um, And share that with your friends. So no matter where you are, you can listen to not just the Frontline with Joe and Joe, but all of the content available at Veritas Catholic Radio Network, which, by the way, is also an EWTN affiliate. So yeah, we were talking about basics. One of the things, now, all right, Claudia, I promise we won't get you in too much trouble, but one of the things that we're we're going through as part of this, and I think anybody who denies that we're in a culture war, we Catholics would probably more appropriately describe that as a spiritual battle, okay, but let's keep it in the area of culture war, okay, is that as a nation, uh, maybe we're regaining it a little bit, but certainly in our lifetimes, uh, we've lost the sense of even the need to go to confession. We've lost the sense of sin. What is sinful? Well, I don't think what I did was sinful. Well, who are you? That's one thing you think about being spoon-fed. I mean, I was taught about sin from the time I was a little baby. That one stuck with me. You know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. That one stuck with me through my life, through, through my sinful life. Okay, um, and we we have to. Here's another basic: we need to remember Jesus first and foremost is our Savior who saves us from sin and death. Talk about getting to the basics. The basic assumption there is that you acknowledge there is such a thing as sin, and you don't get to determine what that is. God does, and his church. I think
2: people, I think people know that there's sin. I don't think they want to admit that there's sin. Uh, all of us, even if we don't have faith, we have built into us a sense of right and wrong, of what is just and unjust, what is holy behavior and what is not holy behavior? Even if we don't believe in Jesus or don't believe there is a God, we we know we can't kill somebody. I mean, that's kind of ingrained in us. But for us Catholics, we have to understand this. we were given 10 commandments, and they're there for a reason. first three help us relationship with God. And the other Help us develop our relationship with each other. So, to
3: look at those things and say, "Well, I don't think that is really doing." It's a humility that we have to have in order to look at our, look at our actions
2: and try to live long possible. It's not our will. It's really be done in everything that we do. And do that realistic society. And it's a shame. And uh, those are the people that I pray for the most are those that want to live out their truth rather than
0: the truth. See, there's, there's, there's a basic for you right there. We can't even. I happen to think when I read that pilot asked that question, I do. He, he had blinders on, he couldn't see the truth staring him right in the face. I don't think that nowadays people are sincere in that question, well, what is truth? I just think that, like you said, I know this sounds judgmental, but I quite frankly don't care, because I watch all this stuff on a daily basis, okay? They don't care about truth. I firmly believe they are not asking the question that, that pilot asks. Um, whereas I think Pilate was being sincere. I think in this culture that we live in, and in the modern age in general, it is a rejection of truth. They know the truth exists, and quite frankly, I firmly believe they know the truth is Jesus Christ, as he said, and they reject Christ. Certainly, that's one of the reasons why Christ is rejected in the Eucharist, okay? Um, And the funny thing is the enemies of Christ seem to have more of, of an idea of the real presence in the Eucharist because they're constantly looking to steal it and then desecrate it. Um, you know, you could buy consecrated hosts on eBay for heaven's sake, you know, not for good purposes. So even our enemies believe in the real presence. Sometimes it seems a little bit more than our Catholic brothers and sisters, you know, but that's a basic, you have to get back to, well, what is truth? And there is objective truth, regardless of whether it's a, a little uncomfortable for you or not. What do you think?
2: And it can be a lot uncomfortable for you. You're right. And, you know, and people say, well, I don't believe that there's a hell. And you know what? Hell is not a place. <coughs> hell is a state of being. And when we divorce ourselves from a relationship with Jesus, we put
3: ourselves into hell. And, you know, live. Too much to disregard the free will he
2: and if we decide to separate ourselves from him he's going to say i love you that hurts me but if that's what you want that's what you can do and p.s you're not going to be happy there but that's the choice that you want to make i just i pray that people realize there's a better choice out there to
3: step away from god step we want to that may But it's make us happy. Absolutely, no. And that's something that we have to. I uh,
0: will say is, we as Catholics need to emphasize to people: you could read from now to the day you die. Okay, and I would encourage anyone to read. Uh, keep this in mind. It's along the lines of what you. We're back. So Claudia, my, my, I guess my comment is through their head. The central pain of hell is eternal separation from God, eternal regret. You might get people saying, oh, well that's not so painful. You, you, you burn for all eternity and it will not be as painful the knowledge you lost God, you did. He didn't lose, you lost Him, okay? Because out of will, like you. but the eternal regret that accompanies that, that's the pain of hell. Aside from any other attendant features, as described in Dante, that is the central pain of hell. And quite frankly, as Joe Rasinello says on the show all the time, when you separate yourself from God in this life, that's not too great either. Doesn't work, no matter how, what kind of facade you, you put on.
2: I agree. It's it's no fun to be on the outs with God, whether we know it or not, and striving to be happy in this world by doing everything that that we want to do that that could be sinful. That doesn't make us happy. Are we any happier as a society if we have more money or more possessions or or more sexual partners or et cetera, et cetera? No, that doesn't. That's not what makes us happy. And I think people who engage in that kind of lifestyle at the end of it will probably agree. And you know what? I thought it was, I was being happy. I thought I was doing the fun stuff in life, but in the end, is it worth it? I don't think so.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. Either. You know, I, we're talking about seeing the Lord in, in the host. Uh, and he is there and we've talked about the Pew research study that only 30% of Catholics understand that. Um, again, I want to go back to the scales in front of your eyes, and I want to talk about the saints, because the saints show us the way. We recently did an interview about Charles Dufoucault, um, who's going to be canonized shortly. I mean, he lived a, a debaucherous life, but when he went to confession, he saw St. Paul lived a debaucherous life. When, it, when he fell... Scales came out of his eyes. It comes down. The soul sees through purity. I think that's the window here. We have to purify ourselves. And if we don't, we're never going to see. We're just not going to see. And the devil knows that. You see, that... I'm sorry. That's the... Joe, what do you think? Do you think it's just not our day today, or what?
0: Well, well, mostly it's been okay. It's just going to be a few edits. Okay,
1: okay, we'll keep it going. But the, the devil knows that ultimately, if you don't purify your soul, you're not going to see. Blessed are the pure of heart; they shall see the face of God. It doesn't see. This is where I think we get confused. You know, I listen to a lot of people on the internet. I read a lot. I mean, we do the show. Um, You could have everything right and still be wrong and not see. Christ stood in front of people. They didn't see him. He stood in front of people. His disciples were at the Last Supper. They didn't understand. You see, it has everything to do with the heart. If your heart isn't right, you're not going to see whether you're brilliant or whether you're simple. And it comes down to that. I believe like we have to work at that. And what do we do? The church gives us the tools. What are the tools? Confession, adoration, prayer, and reception of the Eucharist in a state of grace. Now, these are basics. Again, Claudia, we talked to so many people, I'll be honest with you, we've been very blessed people like yourself. And we've talked to people, I swear, there's times I'm talking to someone, I can't even believe I'm talking to them. I really can't. I say, Oh, my gosh, this person is so smart. They've accomplished so many things. But really, the faith, that's great. But the faith, it's not about that. It's about the heart talk about that because i honestly believe that's the way to see the eucharist we have to be pure and the church gives us those tools but if we don't avail ourselves to the tools it's not happening it will not happen
2: you're right we can live our life in a lazy manner spiritually lazy manner and we're not going to grow and we're not going to benefit and Okay, does it take a little work, quote, unquote, work to go to confession or adoration or, or to read sacred scripture? You know, yes, it takes a little bit of investment on our part, but the benefits are enormous if we can do that. And, And I think you're right, Joe, we have to prepare ourselves spiritually to receive the Eucharist and be then just showered with the graces that come from that, um, And that, and that, those graces then give us the the ability to continue to live and to strive to live a good and holy life. And do we fail? Yes. Do I fail
1: all the time?
2: All the time. But hopefully, you get you you build enough foundation underneath you that you can go back and regroup and get back on the right track.
0: Absolutely, Claudia McAdam, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo. Joe Risenello, way in the breach. One quick comment: it's one of the most encouraging things. It's why I like to tell some of our uh, non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters. No, we read the Bible too. When Paul says, "I do the things I shouldn't do, and I don't do the things that I should do," um, you know, who is to save a wretch like me? But the but the thing that's going on there is Paul is acknowledging I am a sinner, and, and that's lost in the modern world, and even in the Catholic Church. You know, it's like, oh, I don't have to believe in that teaching. No, yes, you do. You actually, actually it's there for a reason, but it's as the two of you were saying, you, you must have eyes to see Jesus said that too. Okay. Um, you know, you, you, for he who has eyes, you know, let him see, I want to ask you something, something about Your book, um, The Real Presence, available at Ascension Press, reminded me of something in Scripture. So it says, at the Last Supper, when Zedekiah and Abigail, your two main characters, are cousins who are always quarreling with each other. So they make the bread for the Last Supper, Am am I correct?
2: And provide the wine.
0: Yes, and provide the wine, but providing providing the work of their hands. Kind of, kind of remind. It's for me anyway. Maybe I'm completely off, but I'm reminded uh, from that of the uh, the uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus, um, that 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 you know that similar moment. Where 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 Jesus breaks the bread and their eyes are opened, you know, it always yes. struck me. I mean, that's why we we read scripture, um, you know. So be so you could kind of identify with. In this case, it's Cleopas. I forgot the other <laughs> name, but it took the they gained. Like Joe was saying, they they were getting the the, the historical. You know, they were getting the, they were getting the whole story from our Lord as they're walking down the road to Emmaus, but they don't they don't get it until the breaking of the bread. Zedekiah and Abigail. They might, they didn't get it un, 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 until they saw it at the last supper. Talk about that a little bit.
2: And you're right. And I, and I love that road to Emmaus story. I mean, it's, that's one of the most beautiful, that, that is the mass because those two disciples are walking down the road and Jesus opens scripture. So there's the liturgy of the word before they get to their, the home and he breaks the bread. And then there's the liturgy of the Eucharist. And you talk about the, those two disciples, Cleopas, and I happen to believe the other disciple is Mrs. Cleopas because we we hear that at the foot of the cross was mary the wife of clopas which is also cleopas so i think it's cleopas and his wife mary are coming home from jerusalem to emmaus and i think it's a husband and wife and they experience the first total mass with the liturgy of the the word as jesus opens scripture for them wow would i have loved to have been there yes and then the liturgy of the eucharist so in my book these two cousins they, they have witnessed Jesus, they've heard Jesus in the synagogue in Capernaum, they've heard him preach the word, and they end up at the Last Supper, where they witness the institution of the Eucharist in the, the taking, blessing, breaking, and giving of the bread, and then the wine, and I, I read a, a, a review comment of my book on one of these, on I think it's on Ascension Press's site, and they, they liked the book, but they said, but at the end, there were children at the Last Supper, which we know isn't true. It was that's fictional. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's right. This is a fictional book. Right. It's, it's not, it is not the gospel. It is a fictional story, an imagined story of what might have been, what could have been.
1: You know, Claudia, I'm glad you said that. You know something? who cares see this is like like I'm, I'm gonna go like full jersey who cares it's a story and it's trying to teach them this is what we do we get caught up in stupid crap like like sometimes and you're just like you miss it you missed it you, like like and I this is constant like Terry uh and Jesse out in California I listened to him and he's he uses this analogy We're we're worried about the house is on fire. We're worried about watering the corn like you're like you missed it. You missed it. And this is why I say it's basics basics and we're not there like like if I was a bit well if I was a bishop I'd be dead. There's no question about it. That's a given. That's God gave me that grace that I'm not in a priest because I'd be dead. They'd kill me. But what's it called? They're still probably going to Claudia. But but at the same, that's a story for another day. We just have to get back to basics. God does all the work in us. He does all the work. Like Mother Teresa said this about adoration. And she was a holy woman. She said, perpetual Eucharistic adoration with exposition needs a great push. People ask me, what will convert America and save the world? My answer is prayer. What we need is for every parish to come before Jesus in the blessed sacrament in holy hours of prayer. I remember this story, this priest. He's like, oh, I'm so busy. I have three parishes, blah, 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 blah. blah. I'm so busy. I don't have time for this. Her response, oh, you're so busy. You should do two hours of adoration a day, not one, two, because we're full of ourselves. We think we're so smart. We have this, we have this. If we spend the time, we pray, we do the basics, the rest of this stuff is going to happen. It's going to happen, but we don't, we're trying to like, like do the end before we get to the beginning. You know, and I think that's the problem. I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, we've kind of talked about this, but I'll be honest with you. I sincerely believe that's the answer.
0: Well, Claudia, actually, what I'll do is just to throw it over to you with comments on that, but then also talk about along those lines. We do a lot. We do a lot of talking here. I don't know if you noticed that Claudia, you know, we this is all about talking, but, um, and also along the lines of what Joe was saying, the importance of silence. The import, importance to uh, the, the importance of shutting our mouth uh, in adoration and listening, opening your opening the ears of your of your heart and your mind and your soul. Talk about the need for silence, also.
2: Well, isn't that hard in our society to be quiet? And when you do, where does your mind go? I mean, even at mass, at the consecration, how many times? I will speak for myself. How many times am I there? praying and the consecration is over. And I think, Oh, what did that already happen? Where was I? You know, it's like, Oh my goodness. And I go to mass every day and I work on that every day. And I still have not mastered it, but it's a process and it's a habit and it's a skill to develop being silent and prayerful. And as I said earlier, you you know, if you're taking your kids to adoration for a whole hour, you're going to have a disaster but if you take go for 5 minutes, if you work your way into it, i think you can reap great benefits. So for me, maybe i can go in and sit and just look at the eucharist in the monstrance for 5 minutes and just commune with the lord that way and maybe that's all my little mind can ha- handle at one time is 5 minutes, but i can build up to to doing more, to being more, to quieting my inner self to to trying to be present with the Lord, in the Eucharist, I find a great deal of benefit from reading sacred scripture. um i I follow the Ignatian approach of placing myself in the stories that I'm reading, trying to imagine I'm there, who am I in this story? What am I getting out of that incident? and that's very helpful for me. so people I think people need to experiment with how can they best pray or best speak with jesus i mean when when we talk when we, you know, when we pray, verbally pray, we're talking to the Lord. When we read scripture, he's talking to us. And that's the same thing as when we sit in silence. We can have that back and forth communication.
0: Absolutely. Claudia McAdam joining, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. And we are way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial. We're discussing Claudia's new book, um, The Real Presence the real presence, out from Ascension Press. Joe Rasinello. Well, we're talking about seeing, seeing the real presence. And back to adoration,
1: which I think is key. When we go, there's peace. I mean, I will say this. The world is looking for peace. Everyone is. Jews, Muslims, atheists. Everyone wants peace. No one wants conflict internally. Like, no one. You have to be a sociopath if you want to be, like, have anxiety and conflict. Christ, if you go, I always say this to people, because it's adoration isn't someone preaching to you. You're just sitting. And it's an invitation to people to go and sit and feel Christ's peace. And I want to get your comment on this, because this is my challenge to people. If you don't believe that Jesus is in the Eucharist, and I'm interested in your comment, this is what I say to people. Go there for five minutes, like you said, Claudia, and basically just say to God, like a child, I don't believe in you. I don't believe in you, but I want to. Help me and just sit there for five minutes and then do it again next week and then do it again next week i'll make you a bet in a year you'll believe in god that's my bet i've said this many times and what are you because it's not it well what are you what are your thoughts on that
2: i don't think you're wrong at all you know and that reminds me of eucharistic miracles and people or oblivious when it comes to talking about Eucharistic miracles. We had a um, a homily about a month or two ago. One of our young priests brought out a big poster board, which was one of the Eucharistic miracles. It had pictures on it and a description of a Eucharistic miracle. And people were like, what? What's he talking about? What's this Eucharistic miracle? Even people in my parents' generation said, I never knew about this stuff. And some of the most powerful Eucharistic miracles to me are priests who are celebrating mass but who don't believe in the true presence of Jesus in the eucharist but during the celebration of the mass what has happened is that host has turned into living bleeding flesh in their hands and if it can happen like that in a physical sense it can happen in a spiritual sense with us in the adoration chapel but eucharistic miracles i think are really a powerful gateway for us to open our hearts to the possibility of what is that in that post in the monstrance or on our tongue at communion during mass what is that
1: you know, what it is too i'll tell you i think there's people could be listening to us now people could immediately just you know block you out but then there are objective people there are people who are on the wrong side of the road who are sincere but wrong like they're they're sincere and they have, but, and they're objective. They'll listen. I think what prevents people, because a lot of the things we presented today in this conversation are very practical. It's a practical thing. It's practical. It's common sense, but what prevents people from doing it? It's not the time it's because it's not a lot of time to be honest with you. God understands you have to live and work. And I'm interested in your thoughts in that it's this God calls you to change. You see, the the gospel, John the Baptist, who was the greatest man who ever ever was born, Jesus said that, the church celebrates three birthdays, John's is one, only three birthdays, John the Baptist, he said, repent and believe in the gospel. If you don't get that, you're not going to get Jesus. He was the precursor. Repent. People, many of the things that we said, and I sometimes try to sit back from it, are very practical. This is not like I'm not asking you to memorize uh, Thomas Aquinas's, you know, books. It's the change, and that's that's the rub. I will not serve. I will not change. I'm calling it like it is. But that, and that's from the clergy. That's from me. That's everybody. And until we break through that, we're never going to see Jesus. What are your thoughts on that? And the key, you know, the word
2: that John the Baptist uses when he says repent and believe in the gospel, it's not just say you're sorry for your sins or just acknowledge your sins. The word is metanoia, it is change your life. It is a complete. You live, shed that past that life and turn to the gospel, which means good news. And it's not just good news; it's the best news ever. And to get there, we have to. We it's our humility that has to bring us there. We have to. We have to shed that sinful man as calls uh, our sinful life. We have to shed that part of us that keeps us from being open to having that relationship with jesus and that's a hard thing to do people don't want to give up their sins they, they give them pleasure give them pleasure and it's hard to do that metanoia that complete transformation of but that's when the greatest benefits come is if you can put aside the way you used to live and be open to a new way of living not just saying oh gee i shouldn't have done that or Yeah, I'm sorry. I won't do that again. But changing your life, changing your behavior and doesn't mean you're going to be 100% successful all the time. That's what reconciliation is for. But it's it's a going down a path one way and turning off to a completely different
0: way of following that path. Claudia McAdam, I'm so glad you're saying that because one of the things Joe and I are trying to do on this show, like more than just having interesting conversations with very interesting people like yourself, is we are sincerely trying to evangelize people, you know, particularly men in America who feel, um, you know, need to step up. And and Joe and I, in our own way, uh, outside of the front line with Joe and the front line, you know, we're trying to step up. But, but one of the things that we want to do is we want to encourage others And what you just said is something that's very important for us to impart to um, our our, all people of goodwill out there who might be listening to us is that, you know, people think sometimes, well, if I go, I did back in the day. I was like, well, if I start practicing the faith or if I go to the Catholic church, um, uh, you know, I have to stop everything immediately. Um, It's like, okay, okay. The, The church also teaches, you know, like about being overwhelmed in this change. Now, some people convert immediately. That's the power of the Holy Spirit okay um others and god knows it takes time um but i think what you're talking about or what struck me anyway is i think you have to have it start before you can bend the knee you have to have the will to bend the knee and if you have the will or the willingness to do what you're talking about to do what joe resinello is talking about then you might go and sit in front of the eucharist for five minutes and maybe five minutes the next week. Maybe think about going to confession. Um, maybe think about starting to put down the things in your life. Again, God chips away. We've but we've all heard the analogy, you know, like, you know, God is the sculptor. Yeah, because he, he's sculpting through rock because we're gabados, as they <laughs> sing in Italian. You know, we all, we're, we all have heads of rock, you know. So it takes time, and God knows that. God is patience. I think what you're talking about more than anything else is we also need to have the will to say, as Joe mentioned earlier, Lord, I don't believe in you, but I want to, or to go out and buy Claudia McAdam's book and re- and read it for yourself or read it for your kids. and start to understand the real presence. Claudia McAdam, final thoughts, and then uh, where people can know more about you and where they can buy your books. Well,
2: boy, you guys have said it perfectly. I don't even know why you had me on today. No, we it, love it, you. It,
1: that's why.
0: Because we love we're you. Just, Claudia, we're two big mouth Italians. We can't help it. And plus, so, we love talking to you. <laughs>
2: so you've added a third big mouth Italian to your conversation, you know.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah,
2: you, you guys are right. And, and you know, what I try to do is not, not just write my books. It's a 32-page picture book, The Real Presence. It's a very simple story. But I, I also create discussion and activities guides for my books. It's available for free at my website, which is Claudia Dot com. People can just I'll send it to you via PDF. And it has, for kids, you know, a maze, a word search, a coloring page. But there's also discussion questions that can be asked in the family setting or religious education teachers are using this book to prepare their first communicants or just in their so it gives the uh, kids of their faith. And that's I'm all about making visits to schools or RE class, book club, schooling groups, and I can do that virtually. And I to do that, anyone who wants to connect with me, please visit my website www.claudiamcadam.com.
0: And Claudia, all your books are available there. How many books overall have you authored now?
2: I've written about two dozen books. Um, In the last year, I've been blessed to have six faith-based books for kids and teens released from four different catholic publishers so we've talked about catholic publishers on this program and god bless them and i am so grateful to them for embracing the the need for providing books for kids because they're the future leaders of the church and they're the their souls are they are the tiniest fruit on the vine in the Lord's vineyard. And, and that's where I want to spend my time and energy working with them and producing works that help
0: bring them closer to the Lord. And God bless you for it, Claudia McAdam. It's what's needed. So stay away from Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse, okay, with your kids, and go out and avail yourselves of our our wonderful Catholic authors, amongst whom is Claudia McAdam, who's written, you said, six books recently just for kids, all right? And and this is the way we're supposed to be teaching our kids, not plopping them in front of the TV and putting on the latest Disney production, okay? Um, And that's our responsibility, Claudia. I think you would agree we have to do that. But unfortunately, Paizan, we have to we have to leave it there. But as always, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you once again, Claudia McAdam, and we want to thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And please follow Joe and I on YouTube at The Frontline with Joe and Joe, The Frontline with Joe and Joe. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.